With that, let's pray, and we will uh, look at our study for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you on this day. We are grateful, Lord, for all that you're doing in our midst. Uh, we thank you for your, your word. Uh, we thank you for this, this book of Genesis, which is so much, uh, so informative. And, and really, as um, I've been going through the New Testament recently, it, so much of Genesis is in New Testament and lays such a foundation for um, our worldview and our understanding of things. And so, Father, today as we come in the midst of the hecticness of life, we pray especially for the Towsley family, Lord, that you would have your hand upon them as they navigate this, this difficult season. We, we rejoice with uh, uh, Diane and Roger. Father, we, we thank you for them and just pray a blessing on, on their day today as they celebrate their marriage. Um, Father, we ask that you would help us uh, to understand the significance of of today's uh, story, the implications, and and how without chapter three of Genesis, so much of our world would not make sense. We would not have an understanding of what's going on around us. And so we thank you, Lord, for what's revealed to us in this chapter. We pray that you would give us understanding and clarity as we really spend this month kind of navigating this chapter. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is inside the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Father, we do again thank you uh, for this story. We ask that you would help us now as we navigate it. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so now we've been in Genesis for three weeks. Um, we've, we've covered the six days of creation in the first section, sort of looking at how God created the heavens and earth and everything that he had done. We then looked at three short verses about one of God's greatest creations of the weekend, and that God in his creating uh, took a day to rest, which he didn't need to do, that he ceased from all activity, and he sort of set the pattern uh, for us as his creation that we're commanded to sort of live under the same sort of uh, work-rest cycle. It's always very convicting for me just to kind of, to, you know, to learn the discipline um, uh, of taking rest, that if you want to be like Christ, you need to learn how to, to pause and, and to rest and to trust him. 
Uh, God is good in giving us the weekend. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that he's done for us. And then last week, we sort of cycled back, and God expanded sort of the creation story of, of, of man and woman. And, you know, up to that point, everything was good, except for one thing, that man was alone. And, and so God said, every, when I look at my creation, everything's good, it's all wonderful, except there's a problem, or maybe not so much a problem, there's that man's alone, and it's not good for him to be alone. And so then we see the Eve created, and sort of the union of Adam and Eve, and sort of the, the beauty of, of marriage that was created. And we have this, this utopia of the universe in the first two chapters of the Bible. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. The world is free of sin and, and any sort of problems. It's just a beautiful setting. And then we turn the page. <laughs> and, and, uh, and everything kind of changes in chapter 3. Like, like there's, a, there's a, a seismic shift in God's creation. Um, and, and if we didn't have this chapter, as we looked at the world around us, as we look at the newspaper, if we, as we just see everything around us, as we experience life, if chapter three didn't exist, the rest of the Bible wouldn't make sense. We wouldn't understand what happened. Like, why did it, why did, why are things going this way? But because of chapter three, we see that something shifted within humanity and within God's creation. And the more I think about chapter three, the more I think it's a it's a wonderful chapter to enter the Christmas season. You know, we have the Christmas tree up in our you know we have the Christmas carols going in our house. Like once we get past Thanksgiving, Anna gives us the green light that we can like. All right, guys, now you can celebrate Christmas. Like, but I, you know, we'll be in my family. We'll be like in June and be like, can we turn on the Christmas carols? It's not up. Oh. Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet. That's like the big line of demarcation. And then it's like we wake up the day after Thanksgiving and it says, you guys can start. And we start. And, and it's enjoyable. Like we love the season. And, and in this, 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 this time, you know, Christmas is a super marketed event around the world. Really, it's celebrating the, the coming of, of Christ, that the Messiah came. And, and why is this such a, a big deal? It's such a big deal because of Genesis chapter 3. This is, uh, you know, the, the illustration is so often used about when you go to buy a diamond and the guy pulls out the black little cloth and then he dumps the bag of diamonds out, turns the lights real low. It's overwhelming experience. I've only done it once. And, and uh, buying that engagement ring, you know, I walked in like a total sucker into the, you know, because where do you go to buy an engagement ring? I had no idea. Like, I haven't been to a jewelry store, and so I went to the one that sold engagement rings. And, and I, man, I was like total, I was, I was the, the prey, you know? And, I, and I'm like, I'm here to buy an engagement ring. And the guy's like, I'm your guy. Let's go into the back room. And it's like, oh, man, like, and he's like, well, what do you want? And I'm like, this is how much money I got. That's what I want. And then he's like, okay, he turns the lights on. And, but except for like one light, you know, was like this like beam from like the ceiling came down. He pulls out the cloth, dumps this bag of like stones. They all look the same to me. I mean, and he held this one up and I'm like, cost, buddy, cost. Like I'm marrying a very simple woman and she doesn't like extravagance. So let's, let's keep it small. Let's go that and... But it was amazing. As soon as that the lights were off, the cloth was pulled out, and it was like the darkness revealed like the beauty of those little rocks. 
And, and, uh, and so much about Christ's coming, the beauty of it is in understanding the, the situation that we're in. Um, we, we start Genesis 3 and we're introduced to this new character. We read, now the serpent was more crafty than, than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And it's like, who is this guy? Like, who, what is this? Who is this? We're just told, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And, and we, we come to this going, wait, I thought everything was good. I thought, I thought everything was perfect. Uh, God had said that everything was good seven times. The only thing bad so far was that Adam was alone. And then he fixed that. And so the whole, this little utopia is set. And then we get to this one sentence and it's like this little like creepy guy shows up. And it's like, what's, like, like what's happening? And I, I, you know, I tend to approach the Bible from the old gunner, my pre-knowing Jesus life and hearing about, you know, the devil and Satan, all of the stuff. And it was like, I kind of rolled my eyes. I was kind of a skeptic. And so I kind of see stuff from the skeptics. And it's like, like, that's a clever little twist in the story, you know? And, and, and C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, I don't know if you guys have read it. It's a fancy, it's a fascinating little read. And in The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis pretends that like the devil has a son and he's writing letters back and forth between his son on how best to do the devil's work. And there's a line in there or a thought in there. I don't have it quoted. I'm just, this is from my memory. So I might actually be telling it better than him. Probably not. <laughs> but he, he kind of says like this, the father is telling the son that the, the best place for us to be with humanity is two extremes. The, the one extreme is wonderful, that man credits us for everything that goes wrong. They stub their toe, it was the devil's fault. If we can get into that area, it's wonderful. And then the other good place to be is if we get over to the other extreme where man says, he doesn't even exist, stop thinking about spiritual things, and that, that there's some like war happening under the surface. And so when we look at our world, Satan operates in these two realms. And so I was always under the realm like, ah, this is just ridiculous. Like, this is just not. But the more I go about my life and, and seeing what the scripture has to say, that there is a very real sort of spiritual battle and a war that's raging beyond what we can, like, see and touch and feel. And, and really, chapter 3 makes sense of a whole lot of things that that innately everybody struggles with. And, and the, the biggest thing that everybody struggles with is death. Um, I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've been to far too many funerals than I would l- like to have gone to. I hate funerals. Like, I really, it's like, I just don't like funerals. But, like, God, like, blesses me with the privilege of participating in a lot of funerals. And whether it's a, a believer or non-believer, deep within us, when we're confronted with death, it's like there's something that's like shorts within our soul that, that we don't like it. We, we don't like the feeling. It doesn't really make sense to us. It, doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. 
And I think that the reason that that is is because we weren't created to die. Like, we were not created to die. And in chapter 3, we see how death enters the scene. And then we see God in his graciousness to us, he then allows, like, death to come because he's going to restore things. So at the end of chapter 3, which we'll get to in a few weeks, we'll see that there was this other tree that we haven't been introduced to yet, and it was the tree of life. And God says, after the fall, we're, we're going to, like, we're not going to allow people to live forever because that would be cruel now that sin has entered the scene. And so death, um, you know, death is one of those things that like hits us in a really harsh way. But then I've also seen death being a gift to so many people, um, like towards the latter stages. So this is like, this is one that I'm like really going to like struggle to like articulate. So yesterday, two things happened. Like I, uh, one, like I saw my dad and we're talking about Brett. Like we're, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about Brandon's brother who's 32 and, you know, just, you know, like a young wife, three little girls and he gets brain cancer 18 months ago and he goes, and my dad's, you know, here's my dad, 87 retirement home, like, with early stage of Alzheimer's, and he's like, this just isn't, like, it just is rough. I'm like, yeah, I know, it's just been, like, really tough. And then my dad's like, yeah, I'm like, he's like, I'm just ready to go. Like, I've been dying slowly, and it just, like, I wish I could just trade places, and it's like, I can't. And my dad's like, so my dad dies, like, I feel like I'm at the point where I know my dad's just ready, and he's like, yeah, I've been, like, parts of me have been dying over the years slowly. And it was just like this neat, conversation with my dad and then i see a little video online this is this birthday party of a 104 year old lady and her family throws her this surprise party she blows out the candles and she's like god thank you guys for doing this i hope this is my last one and the family's <laughs> like the family's like what would a grandma just say she's like i'm ready like i like I, and it's kind of like like if like if your body's falling apart and then god like kept the tree of life, like, so that we would continue to live indefinitely, that wouldn't be a gift. Like, it would not be. And so, like, this is, well, this is my world of thoughts. Like, no real, like, I don't know. Is the heater on? Can we, like, Jim, can you check the heater? It feels like hot. I have the key up here. I feel like the heater's on. So it does. Everybody's, like, nodding. We got Christmas sweaters on today. So... Melanie will take care of it here. Um, well, we're talking about the Satan, so it's perfect. You know, that was not planned to go this route. Um, okay, so now we're introduced to the serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And it's like, where did this guy come from? What do we know about it? If we're just reading Genesis, we, we don't know. But the Bible has given us sort of like more information about Satan. And that you could probably do a very exhaustive study on this. We're just going to sort of... Uh, cover like the mountain peaks about like like what's what do we know about him, and so if you can find Ezekiel chapter twenty eight, so there's Isaiah. If you hit Isaiah, go ahead and kind of bookmark it. But in in Ezekiel chapter twenty eight, <clears throat> verses fourteen through fifteen. <clears throat> okay, I had it bookmarked, so I'll let you guys take your time to get there and I'll have a sip of water. So in Ezekiel 28, really like verses 14, maybe a little bit, yeah, 14 is probably a good starting point. 
still have pages, so I'll wait. Okay. Ezekiel 28, verse 14. You were the anointed cherub or angel who covers or could be translated guards, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, and you were in the midst of the stones of the fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. And so we have this little blurb in Ezekiel, and Bible scholars, I'm not going to unpack all of Ezekiel, but just in this little section we see that, that here's the serpent. Um, we see that the serpent is this created being. Uh, he was initially created as sort of the highest ranking angel. His, it's believed that he was protect, like to, to guard, protect, to facilitate the, the worship of, of God. Um, and then something happened at the end. Then ultimately unrighteousness was, was found in him. And so uh, some... Okay, let's, I'm trying to figure out which way. I think I had to go to Revelation, but I think going back to Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 14, if you want to head over there. So here we have the serpent created being responsible for like leading the angels in worshiping of God. Um, he has unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is found within him. And in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, Isaiah shares with us what happened. And in verse 12, so Isaiah 14, verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mountain assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high Nevertheless, uh, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And so there, Satan is in heaven. He's this, this angel responsible for worshiping God, kind of this, this heavenly host of, of worship that, that I, I mean, I only have what's here, so it's, it's the, my imagination fails, I think, when I try to imagine what's happening. He's, he's there in this scene as this top created being, and... And he gets in his heart. He's like, you know what? I want a piece of that. Like, I don't want to be the one that's doing this. I want things to start worshiping me. And in Isaiah, you see these five or six wills. Like, I will do this. I will, I will, I will. I want to take care of numero uno. I want to be like God. And so pride gets up in his heart, and God says, we're not going to have any of that. There's only one God. There's only one creator. There's only one who's to be worshiped. And then in Revelation chapter 12, we see this scene of this war, and, and, and basically Satan is cast down to, down to earth. And then at the end of Revelation chapter 20, we see that ultimately Satan is basically placed into the great white throne of judgment. So fast forwarding in human history, Satan is going to be taken care of. But here, here we sit in Genesis. This, this serpent appears in this utopia that God had created. And so we don't exactly know when that other stuff happened, but we, we, we believe, it seems that when you piece things together, that this sort of war in heaven and Satan's demise, this fall of Satan, 
happens somewhere following chapter 1, when everything was created, and chapter 3. So somewhere in there, this all happens, but God doesn't really fill in the blanks for us, other than what we just read. It's like we've pieced it together. So all we know is here in the garden, there's Eve and there's Adam having a pretty good life, and now evil comes into existence. And here is, we're told, the serpent. We're not told that this is a snake. We know that when the curse comes, his legs are taken away. This is some sort of being that we don't, like the, I wish the adult Bible came with pictures like the children's Bible because then we could see exactly what was happening. Like I, but some sort of being, creature. And we're told that he was more crafty. Now, this doesn't mean that he liked scrapbooking and, you know, like quilting and that sort of stuff. This is, uh, some translations say that he was cunning or shrewd, that he was, he was, tr- he was tricky. He, he tried to instill a, a rebellion in heaven and was forced out of heaven, and now he's trying to carry out his mission of rebellion against God and building up his, his kingdom on earth. And so he approaches Eve. For us, I think that there's a lesson. While the serpent is created, he has a beginning, he has an ultimate end, but he's been dealing with humanity for a long time, and he's very good at what he does. We have only been like on the radar for a blip, and so we're probably good just like keeping our distance and not engaging. And so he's you know, he slips his way in. And we see in verse, or the second part of verse 1, that he engages with the woman. We don't know exactly where Adam is at this point. It appears that she's all alone. And we're told, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And so this is a very interesting approach. He, he comes in, he takes what God has said, and then he spins it. He's really close, but he, he tweaks his quotation of what God has actually said. And I do think this, this happens a lot. Um, so he says, hey, God said you shall not eat from any of the tree, like tree of the garden. Like you're not allowed to eat from any, from any trees in the garden? That seems kind of ridiculous. And then the woman said in verse 2 to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees... Of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And so she starts out pretty good. Like her initial response is is pretty on point. Does God say you're not allowed to eat from any of them? And she says, no, no, like that's not what he said. He said, "From, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. Like, we're allowed to eat the fruit of these trees, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, there's like one tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat from that or touch it. So she gets the first part right, but did God say anything about not touching it? And so if you were to go back to chapter 2, uh, in verse 16, It said that just so we know what God said, then the Lord God commanded man saying from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from 
the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So the command is just simply not to eat the tree. You can, you can touch the tree, there's no problem. It's the eating of the tree uh, that's, that's the problem. It's interesting to observe, just if we were to look at verse 16, while, while your eyes are up there, we see following that command to Adam, then Eve is created. So this instruction that was given to Adam was given prior to the creation of Eve. So Eve is relaying to, to Satan what she understands that from what she got from Adam, kind of secondhand. And, and so she says, no, you're not supposed to eat from you're not supposed to eat from this one or touch it. And I do think that a lot of times people with scripture naively, like innocently, accidentally um, manipulate scripture or say stuff that they've heard. And because I, I can't tell you how many times I've like been engaging with somebody, whether believer, non-believer, and they're like, ah, yeah, well, the Bible says this. And I'm like, man, I like went to Bible college. So I have my seminary. Like, I don't, I, I miss, like, like, and I, like, initially, like, I'll be like, I don't know. Does the Bible say that? Like, because they say you start out going to Bible college knowing everything, and then by the time you graduate, you know nothing. And that's kind of like what happened to me. And I'm like, maybe that's there. Like, that's, maybe. And, and, I, and then I'll always ask questions. Well, what, can you point, can you, let's, where does it say it in the Bible? And it's like, oh, I don't know. It's just in there. Well, can you be more specific? And it's like, oh, well, if you can't point to, like, the actual thing. But I think a lot of times when you say, like, like the, the, this manipulation of what the Scripture actually says is, is so common. And it's so easy for people to be sort of led astray, not even by what the Bible says, but because somebody said that the Bible said this. Oh, there's so many contradictions. So it's like, well, well which, what are they? Which, which ones are you, like, which, which, which one are you having an issue with that you're struggling with? Can we work through it to see if we can figure out? Well, exactly. There's just a whole bunch of them. Well, 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 which one are you most struggling with right now? I don't know. I just know there's a whole bunch of them. And it's like, okay. And I think so often th- this happens. So we see Satan come in. He kind of manipulates what the scripture says. She pushes back. She's close. But then she gets it wrong. And I don't know why she said that you're not allowed to touch it. Like, did she create some additional rules, which, which is kind of what religion is? Like, so often religion says, well, God says not to do this. Well, in order to not do this, then let's build a bunch of rules outside of what the issue is so that it will protect us from getting to the point. Because if we say, don't even touch it, then how can the world, could I eat it? So if I, don't, if I just don't even touch it, then I'm not going to take it a step farther and actually eat from it. And I think, so, I think that so often religions and traditions are created sort of like with a good intention. And then you get this system of all the do's and the don'ts. And then you're like, you're living by like wacky set of rules that's so far from what God actually intended that you now are in a place that's not honoring God or living in a way that's like pleasing to him or good for you. And so I read somewhere that the old Jewish teachers, like the the rabbis of old, their understanding of what happens between verses uh, three and four. So when she says, you're not supposed to eat from it or touch it. So in their mind, as they begin reading verse four, when the serpent says to the woman, 
you surely will not die. Like, you're not going to die if you touch it. In their minds and their teaching, that the serpent takes a woman and shoves her into the tree. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. That's because it's like she didn't touch the tree, and what happened? She didn't die. So, and the Bible doesn't, I mean, we just have, but it totally makes sense. Like, that it's like, kind of like just bump you into the tree. She's right there. Like, you won't die. And she touches the tree. She's like, I didn't die. And I think so often temptation comes that way. Oh, you can dabble in this sin. You, oh. Bible says that sex is for a man and a woman or in, in, in the context of marriage. And it's like, well, Satan says, ah, well, you can dabble with it. You're not gonna, it's not going to hurt you. And then people kind of go down that road. God says stuff about money. And he says, if you do this, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. Ah, like the instant gratification of things. Let's go down that road. It's not going to get in trouble. And then you start looking at like the disasters and, and problems that result from people being tempted by Satan to go down a road that God has clearly said, hey, this isn't good for you. If you do this, you begin going down that road. And then a decade, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years later, like you see all the, the consequences. I, I certainly know in my life there's been a bunch of consequences of things that I thought that I knew better than God because I just didn't care what God had to say. And so I was listening to the temptation of Satan to lead me down to do all the stuff that I really wish I could like go back. It was misinformation and I just didn't, like I had misinformation and I didn't care, like are the two things that I struggled with. So the servant said to the woman, you will like surely not, like you won't die. Like for God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And so whether, whether those old rabbis are correct that Satan like pushed her into the tree and she didn't die, like he pushed her, he pushed, pushed her at least emotionally in the argument towards the tree and made his point enough to where she felt comfortable touching and eating. Now in this whole context, the Bible really doesn't hold, let me be careful, like Eve isn't blamed for the fall of mankind. The Bible, when it talks about Eve in this situation, it always refers to her as being deceived. That there was some breakdown between Adam and her in understanding, and then she she was able to be sort of misled from a from an innocent position, not from like a rebellious standard. In Second Corinthians chapter eleven verse three, we read, "But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity." and purity of devotion to Christ. And so Paul says to this church in Corinthians that this is like the, the, this is like the church of Jerry Springer in my mind. I always say that. like They were a total disaster, the things that were happening in, in Corinth. And Paul writes, uh, and he says, Eve was deceived by Satan because he's so crafty, and I'm worried that Satan is going to play the same game with you, and then you're going to be led astray from Christ. And unfortunately, God is doing that. Like, like in, our, in our midst, like within Christianity, like it's, it, nothing new is happening. Satan has his strategy. He's super effective. He gives information. It's super easy for us to be tempted and then to get, get sort of led down this road. And then we, we find ourselves somewhere where we shouldn't be in our relationship, in our money, in priorities, how we're living our life. The Bible is challenged on basically like every front in our culture. 
says, for God knows that the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And he uses this to push her down this road because he thinks that his plan is better than God's plan. And so when he says, for he knows, it seems like at that moment, Eve should have said, you know what, if God knows this and he says I shouldn't do this, I should probably trust him. Even though I don't necessarily understand or I can't make sense about why God says this, they use it to say, well, God's plan isn't good for you, so this is a better way. And I wonder how many people like find themselves in a pickle, a jam, because they thought they, their way was better than God's way. And so now this, uh, this, the whole problem of temptation that, that, that Satan will lead you down this road, you find yourself in a pickle and then saying like, well, here's your answer out, out of it. And then just sort of compounds the situation and you kind of double down. Like, I, I wish, you know, you can't, you can wish, you can't do anything. Like, I, like, going back in my life, and it's like, oh, man, if I only knew Christ when I was, like, five, and I lived for him. But, but my life is what my life was. Like I said on the path, and I'm thankful that God used the circumstances in my life to ultimately lead me to him. And here she makes this mistake, and she eats. When she saw that the tree was good, verse 6, good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate. And she gave also to her husband. With her he ate, and the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and that they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. So she's deceived. Adam consciously goes against God's word. He knew clearly. So the Bible kind of holds them accountable in different ways. Uh, He's ultimately held accountable, and she obviously faces consequences that we'll see in the coming weeks. But in this moment, as their eyes were open, it's like the screen, like the lightning bolt. If this was a movie, it would be like, (laughs) everything changes color. Like something seismic happens in creation. To understand the consequences of the fall, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn over to Romans chapter 5, we're going to kind of land this over in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and then 1 Corinthians. So at this moment when they ate and they go against God, the whole world changed. Humanity changed in an instant. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, I can still hear pages turning, so I'll wait. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore just... As through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So we're told that through one man, Adam. When Adam rebelliously went against God, when he ate that, it's like the the DNA instructions within him changed. Like that, that through him, through this river of life that would come from Adam and Eve, from which like we all descend from them that the water is now contaminated and everybody from them now has sin within them. And then we're told that as sin enters into the world and that death through sin, so as a res- result of this sin, we see the decay 
the second law of thermodynamics, that everything's moving from order to disorder, like the whole world starts falling apart. That death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. So he says, like, okay, so there's Adam. The next major character that we see in the Old Testament is Moses. Moses would be the vessel that God would use to give the, the Mosaic law. The, the, the law that we know, the law that would hold Israel accountable, these very clear violations that you do this, oh, you know your sin, it kind of revealed it. But, he, but, but what Paul says is, from Adam until Moses, even though there was no law, and there wasn't like a, a law rules that mankind was breaking, mankind was ultimately breaking laws, and sin was causing death. So even though there was no law, pre-law, people were dying from Adam until then, like death entered the scene. And it's as a, a fall of humanity. So we see death and decay. And it's interesting that while she didn't, she said that if we touch a tree, we'll die, that's not what God said. But as a result, now death is entering the scene. As a result, there's spiritual death. They're now going to be separated from God spiritually. There's this, this disconnect. And physically, death enters the scene. This isn't a part of God's plan. This is why when we're confronted with a loved one dying, there's something about it that it's not supposed to be this way. Like we know intrinsically that when we're confronted with death, it's not supposed to be that way because it wasn't supposed to be that way. But because of this moment in human history when sin enters the world, our DNA shifted and now death enters. We're not sinners because we've sinned. We sin because we're innately sinners. But look what he says. He ends with, in Romans, well, he isn't in Romans, but verse 14. Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. And so he refers to Adam as being a type like a prototype of him, that's Jesus that would be to come. Next week when we get to verse 15 in Genesis chapter 3, right in the midst of the scene, God gives a promise about the Messiah, that the Messiah would come through the line of Eve and that God would ultimately, basically there's a scene there that basically uh, Satan is going to get, like Satan will bruise the Messiah's heel but his head is going to get crushed. So it's like when Jesus stomps his head and destroys him, ultimately, it's going to leave a little mark on Jesus's heel, but he'll be okay, but Satan is going to be crushed. So like this like really violent promise is given in verse 15. Now over in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll wrap up here, is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 20 through 22, dealing with the resurrection of Christ. So as he's making this argument in Corinthians that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. We say, but now Christ has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in all, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So the New Testament paints this picture that if 
We are born into Adam. We are born into sin. We are born separated from God. That we are spiritually dead at birth. We are in Adam. But through Jesus, this promise that's given in Genesis 3.15, that from Genesis 3.15 until you know, Luke chapter 2, the first pages of the New Testament when Jesus was born, this month that we celebrate is coming, they were longing for this Messiah's arrival that would make the ultimate sacrifice for us, that we would have life. Now looking back, we long for his second return. All of this is by faith. And we're told in the New Testament that as we trust in Christ, when we believe in Christ, we're moved from the body of Adam of sin and death into this new sphere of being in Christ. And in Christ, we're whole, there's life, there's forgiveness, and we're made right with God. This is power. This all is built upon this chapter 3 of Genesis, which is so foundational. Without this chapter, the world doesn't make sense. But because of it, we can understand why things are the way they are. And this is a beautiful chapter to be in during the Christmas season. This world can be a super discouraging place, amen? Like, super discouraging. Like, uh, it's super easy to blame politicians, either on the left or the right. I don't care what side of the aisle you're like. It, it, it's super easy to blame the Republicans. It's super easy to blame the Democrats. And if you're putting your faith and hope into either one of those groups, you're going to be utterly disappointed. But, amen? Like, like, neither one of these groups is going to save you. The problems of this world have existed long before there existed the United States of America. Amen? Like, do you guys really believe that? The United States has only existed for less than 300 years. The United States is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. It's not mentioned anywhere in the end times other than if you want to lump it with the nations that will be judged in their relationship to Israel. That's the only place you can... Like the problems and the struggles that we are dealing with are not new. The source of the problems that we're dealing with go back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam ate of the fruit. And it manifests itself in all sorts of ways. Politicians aren't going to solve your problems. Your bank account isn't going to solve your problems, but I recognize there's some very practical things that your bank account, like with day-to-day living life problems, like I'm not going to, like, but God provides for us. We need to keep our eyes on Christ because our problems are so much worse than we actually think they are. Our problems are far worse than coronavirus, whether like the coronavirus itself or how they're responding. Our problems are far greater than that. Each of us, because of our sin, has been separated from God, and this is like super bad. And you're not going to solve this problem like politically. You're not going to solve these problems that we're facing by, by humans' responses. How we deal with these problems is by turning our eyes to Christ, keeping them there, trusting that he's in control, trusting that he's in sovereign. If this is the beginning of the end, should we as Christians be fighting against it? <laughs> I, 
If this is the beginning of the end, our eyes should be on Jesus. Unfortunately, out of the lips of Christians, I hear more about politics than I do about Jesus. Like, our problem is so great. And the only solution to our problem is through Christ. And Christ has said, I love you. I've come. I've paid the price in full. My, my work on the cross was sufficient for you. No matter what happens, they can't take away what I've given to you. In me, you have everything. And so that is why Christmas is like, brings joy. Like the root of Christmas is pagan holiday that we've sort of hijacked and like have fun with. Like it's a reminder to us that God in Genesis 3 promised that this Messiah would come. And we look back to the birth of Jesus and we said, you know what? God was faithful and his plan came together and the Messiah came and he came humble and he came perfect and he went to the cross and he died for you and he died for me and his sacrifice was sufficient. And now because God was faithful, God also says he's going to come back and he's going to reign and to rule. And we look forward to this day when we can live under his headship when we don't have to deal with politicians, when we don't have to deal with taxes, we don't have to deal with our bodies falling apart and dying, all, like we can just live with him in glory forever. That's where our hope is. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Just You're such a good God. And it's so easy for us to get deceived for us to be led astray, to keep our eyes on, on the things around us. The world right now paints a very discouraging picture. And it's easy for us to get tripped up and to fall into this, this discussion um, where we are raising our fists and pumping them in the air and just mad at the politicians and mad at the system. And, and ultimately, we take our eyes off of you and lose sight of your sovereignty, that, that there's nothing new under the sun. We see this serpent wreaking havoc in the world. And we thank you, God, that you are in control. We thank you that there is hope in Christ. We thank you that you have come up with this rescue plan to save us uh, from this world of decay and hostility and anger and bitterness and wrath. And that you've called us in Christ to live differently. And so, Father, I pray that you would take from me um, these fleshly feelings that, that I have um, that really re- reflect that I, I don't trust you. And so, Father, as that, uh, I think it was a centurion in Galilee that, uh, where he said, Lord, I, I help my unbelief. I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to truly to lean into you and to trust you and it's getting easier to do because it's, it's getting... It's, it's not hard to see that uh, the, the political system won't 
save us. Like it's, it's, it's getting easier to lean into you and to trust you because it's all we really have. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would give us the peace that you have promised to us. We thank you, Lord, that you're just so good to us. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.